Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. What's up, everybody? It's Johnny King with another episode of The Johnny King Show. I'm so excited to have my wonderful guest, Christine Hasler, on the show. Mm -hmm. Christine, welcome, welcome. Thank you. You are. Yeah, it's good to have you on, Mm -hmm. as always. And before we started recording, um, I reminded you that we had connected at a mastermind where you were speaking the very first night of the mastermind back in 2018. And you changed my life. And many, honestly, I, I genuinely believe that because I would not be doing the work that I'm doing with men if it weren't for you. So mm. thank you for, for your work there. That was fun. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. You were, you really changed it. I just sort of like <laughs> teed it up. <laughs> uh, what I loved was, I mean, and I've said this, I told this to your husband, Stephanos, who I had on the podcast months ago. And to a lot of the people when I was telling them when I was doing you today that, I've been to all of Tony Robbins programs live multiple times over because he has such a way to do live interventions in a way that to me borders on the line of like healing Mm -hmm. instantaneously healing, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I've never seen anyone come remotely close to doing what he's done except for you. Oh, thank you. Like seriously. Yeah. You, you were doing it with a couple of the people, the mastermind. And then I just raised my hand. I was like, do me next. Do me next. I didn't even know what we were going to get into. And I loved that. You're like, well, so what's your problem? I was like, I don't know. Just hit me with it. It's so funny because whenever I go to speak and you know, I'm not a, like Tony Robbins, people don't know who I am. And so I show up yeah. at events like this. Cause someone like Michael has an experience. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so who wants, I talk a little, I'm like, who wants some help? And like, hardly anybody raises a hand. And then the person that feels bad for me, cause no one raises their hand, raises a hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, whatever we do, what we do. And then it's like all the hands come up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, which is so cool. And it was so powerful. That's why I was like, you know, I, I yeah. want in and you were, what's your issue? I was like, I'm confused. Confused about what? I don't, I don't know. I'm confused about what I'm confused about, but we, you got to it so quickly, which mm-hmm. was amazing. So hopefully maybe we can even do a little bit of that. Sure. Um, but before we get into too much of it, why don't you go back and explain? Cause I, like I said, I could read your bio, which yeah. sounds so formal, but tell a little bit more about your experience, uh, your coaching, your book writing, mm. all the good stuff that you're up to. I'll, I'll give a brief story. And if people really are curious, they can go internet stalk me or listen to the first episode of my podcast where I talk about it all. The short story is desperately insecure kid. Lots of stuff happened to me as a child compensated by being an extreme overachiever thought I had to be successful to belong, graduated from high school, graduated from college early, flew out, flew out to LA. No, actually drove out to LA, built a career in Hollywood, was one of the youngest ever female agents, had this jet setting life, dating the head of a movie studio, every celebrity I met, every award show I was at, um, and still wasn't happy. PS was put on Prozac at age 11, didn't get off antidepressants till age 30, been on every antidepressant and anti-anxiety med that you can imagine plus a lot of chronic health problems. So all that was kind of going together to create the perfect storm in my early mid twenties of like everything crashing down around me, had my quarter life crisis, ended up writing a book about that, that took off because it seemed like other women in their, my first book was for women in their twenties. And I hit a pain point. And then people said, I want you to be a coach. I want you to counsel me. You have a knack for this. My coach at the time finally was like, yeah, it's your gift. I didn't want to tell you, you had to figure it out. And at age 24, I started coaching people mm. and then went back and got more degrees, more training, have two degrees in psychology, um, NLP, hypnotherapy, all the things, working on my fourth book, mm. keynote speaker, get, got in the corporate world and the college world for many years, host workshops and retreats and events. Also teach with my husband on conscious relationship, inner child work, calling in your awesome partner. Um, really, I my best resume would be my life experience. You know, I share all that to kind of give some professional credibility, but it's, it's been the things I've been through that have made me who I am. And 
you know, I think we all have gifts and I am not a great dancer. I'm not a great artist. I'm not a great athlete. The list goes on and on, but what I'm not great at my particular gifts are intuition, compassion, and sort of being a human detective. I, you know, I don't want to sound, well, it'll sound how it sounds. I'm just trying to paint a picture. It's kind of like, you know, how you go to a functional medicine doctor when you have all these symptoms and you can't get to the root cause and you go to like that person to help you get to the root cause. Like it's, oh, it's this virus or it's this allergy or whatever it is. That's sort of how I look at myself in the personal development world. Like mm-hmm. I want to get you to the root cause instead of chasing all the symptoms. I want to get to like, what is the thing that's at the root of the issues or the blocks in your life? And that's what I love helping people break through. Mm, I love that. And it's funny how uh, you mentioned that because right before you jumped on, I was reading <laughs> this book, The Paleo ah. Approach to Heal uh, an Autoimmune Disease. And uh, I've just been jumping into that because, and I recorded yesterday a podcast, just a solo podcast talking about how that can be such a part of my language, but a shit show trying to figure out why is my health? Why do I have these things coming up? Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It's exactly the same thought or underlying process that I think a lot of people look at is like, why is my life the way it is? And obviously as you get older, you start to see patterns of broken down relationships or, you know, horribly managing funds or losing jobs. It's like, why, but it seems so overwhelming. They're like, where do I even go? Right. Right. It it does because it seems completely overwhelming. And the other thing is that, and this is, I'm sure your audience are not personal growth newbies. They, they've been in it. They've read their bookshelf probably looks like mine in a lot of ways. Um, You have all this awareness. You get it. You're like, I get that. I have fears of abandonment because my father abandoned me. Like I get that. I keep chasing success because my dad never said he was proud of me. Like I get that I have body image issues because my mom always criticized me or criticized herself. So we have this awareness, but I think where so many people get frustrated is why can't I change? Like, why is it not moving? Like, why can't I create different results in my life? And I've been there so many times. (laughs) And so that's why I really love to help people with the integration piece, which is, okay, you have all this awareness. Now, what do we do with it? And how do we like actually create shifts in your life? Like you did, like just shift, you made a shift that, that made you feel more on purpose. Right. And a lot of that was eliminating old stories that you were telling yourself. And so whenever growth and consciousness always, always involves the inner work and inner awareness and the outer action, we can't have the outer action without the inner healing and the inner awareness and the inner shifts. And we can't expect the inner shifts to create anything unless we have the outer actions. So we're always in this dance of the inner shifts and the outer actions and not letting, not letting it get lopsided, but having them really work in tandem with each other. Right. And that's really where the, the rubber meets the road. I think there's so many coaches out there, um, mm-hmm. but much fewer who focus on the integration part Yeah, because that's, that takes so much life experience and wisdom and intuition and, and everything else. And I get that. I mean, it's no wonder you and Stefanos <laughs> were attracted to each other. I get that same vibe from him. He's so uh, aware of that too. And that's ultimately what I want to help other men and continue on my own journey, get there. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the need, the world is in need of, of uh, a leveling up of men in, in a major way. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that, leveling that, up of humans well, yes. um, for sure. Mm. Yes. Yes. And I, a, a new, not a new, but I think a actually more authentic and pure form of masculinity and femininity. We've been living mm-hmm. in the shadows on both sides mm-hmm. for many, many, many years. Um, and centuries. <laughs> so it's like, we're, you know, I think so many men are being called forward to help men become healthier men. Yeah. And same thing, like I'm called forward to help healthier men and really passionate about helping women become embodied, healthy women that really mm-hmm. understand femininity. Cause there's a lot of misperceptions on both sides. Yeah, totally. And I, and I saw that on your website that you, you have a course and maybe you do it with Stephanos or maybe you're doing it alone where you're really talking about helping women attract their king. Yeah. Steph and I teach that together. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That looks, that looks Mm -hmm. really fascinating. And and my thought, and you know, I'm still currently and almost done writing my book, becoming Kings. The whole thought is like, how do you attract your queen, you know, Mm -hmm. or your king, right? Wherever you, where you, wherever you fall on the spectrum. Uh, how do you, how do you become your best version of yourself? I'm just kind of obsessed with human optimization and being our Mm -hmm. best versions. I think that's who my audience is and listening to the show, but, uh, that's a big, 
what I wanted to talk to you about, what I talked to Stefano, some of what I've talked to a lot of my, my other podcast guests about is becoming our best versions of ourselves. And you speak from it, having gone through trial and error, right? Lots of trial and error. <laughs> Lots of trial and error. Right, right, right. And we're always, we're always, I don't think we're ever there. Right. Um, but I'm a much more loving version of myself than I have been in the past, mostly. Mm. And what I mean by that is I'm much better to me than I have been in our past, my past. Mm. And that is the essence of a healthy relationship is that the better we are as a partner to ourselves, the more likely we're able to attract a healthy partner and the more likely we're able to be in a healthy relationship. So it always starts there and it takes, it takes many not so healthy, often crappy relationships (laughs) to get to that point of like, okay, I'm ready for a different kind of dynamic, but it always starts with ourselves It always. And I I don't want to mislead people and thinking you have to be like perfect and then have this amazing self-love and like have this epic, again, perfect relationship with yourself in order to attract a healthy relationship. I think part of having a healthy relationship with yourself is knowing it's not going to be perfect and letting that be okay. Because also no romantic relationship is ever going to be perfect. Your most ideal person is never going to be perfect. There's always going to be stuff that comes up. So I think that I made the biggest shift in my relationship with myself when I learned, oh my God, my relationship with myself isn't going to be perfect. It's going to have ups and downs and I'm going to have fights with myself and I'm going to have my down days. And that's okay because I'm committed to repair. You know, John Gottman, who's like the father of really studying marriages and long-term relationships talks about, he can tell if a relationship will be successful by not how often the couple fights repair how quickly they can come back out of the argument and repair. And Mm. I say the same thing happens inside ourselves. The quicker we can repair anytime we self-criticize, self-betrayal, are hard on ourselves, push ourselves, any of those kinds of things, the more we are able to repair that, that Mm. creates that healthy relationship with ourselves. Mm. Fascinating. I mean, I would say, it's just looking at my own growth and not to toot my own horn, I'd say the current relationship that I'm in, I'm, I've, I've done the very best to date of whenever I mess up or there's any type of energy or whatever, just to, to, to bring it up immediately, you know? And my girlfriend has said like, yeah, sometimes those things she's put off for weeks or months or years. I'm like, so have I, but it's made, it's such an improvement on just squashing that bug before it gets to, to grow you know, yeah. before it gets too big in the relationship. I think that what you said really resonates for me. Um, another thought I had was I, I was grateful because I got a copy of your book at the Mastermind a couple of years ago, Expectation to Hangover. Uh, and I read it through and underlined a bunch of it. And when I was kind of preparing for this podcast and going back through, I opened up to a part uh, in chapter eight where I was talking about just more or less um, imposter syndrome. And how you had been experiencing a lot of that and just feeling embarrassed or ashamed of having lost a, a relationship or your career didn't have your dream job or mm-hmm. how so much of that um, kind of self-demeaning conversation and beat up talk going on in your head that I feel like so many men and so many women, of course, just us as human beings work through how, how have you gone about in your experience, like you said, getting to this place where you, I can tell you love yourself and you're a lot more gentle and compassionate, mm-hmm. giving yourself grace, but it's, it's easy for someone to say, well, clearly you have something special about you. Cause I can't do it. Mm. I don't know how you got there. I can't even imagine envision you being there, mm. but how have you, how do you work with clients to help them get through some of that self-debilitating self-talk? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I know that. I know that self-talk. Well, I, I raised my hand to that on so many occasions. I like so many of uh, everyone listening has a pretty fierce inner critic. Um, I think that, you know, and the reason an expectation hangover, I start with emotional release work. That's the first part of treating disappointment that I talk about in that book is because so what makes it hard to love ourselves and what makes the inner critic really act up and what makes it hard to integrate is we don't feel our feelings in healthy ways. And feelings are energy. Emotions is energy in motion. And 
when we look at suppressed emotion, things we haven't dealt with, we can trace it to disease and we can trace it to patterns. We can trace it to persistent feelings like anxiety, overwhelm, disappointment, those kinds of things, patterns like procrastination, self-sabotage or autoimmune issues, right? Mm -hmm. And the list goes on and on. And so as much as, you know, I'm a coach and you'd think I'd start with mindset and beliefs, that's never where I start with people. I really start with, okay, let's like lift, let's lift that rug up that you've brushed all your feelings and all the things that you haven't wanted to deal with. And let's, let's, let's have you feel again, because that, that emotional suppression, the energy that's required to suppress all of that makes us irritable, anxious, and hard on ourselves. It just does. And so, and also suppressing our emotions triggers the inner child, which isn't some airy fairy fruitcake psychobabble. It's a psychological reality. We all have an inner child that basically holds all our memories from childhood, even the ones we don't consciously remember. And that is a deeply sensitive, needy part of us. We all have that. We all are deeply sensitive and deeply needy and that's okay. We're human. So just admit that. And we don't admit that. We don't think that it's okay to be needy and sensitive. And so we just overwork or we get into addictive behavior or we, the list goes on, we numb, we Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. distract all those kinds of things. And so being able to allow ourselves to feel like so many of my clients, I'll just be in this place of compassion with them. And we might be talking about something that I've talked about before, but because I'm holding such a place of compassion and I'm more concerned with them feeling than I am the details of the story or trying to figure anything out. It even happens on my podcast where I do live interventions, like emotion will come up and they'll be like, I don't know what this is. I'm like, that's okay. Just go with it. Let these tears come up. I don't care. We don't need to know. You just need Mm -hmm. to feel right now. Mm -hmm. And so many of us, recycle our feelings rather than release them. And what I mean by that is we'll cry, but the whole time we're crying, we're wanting to not cry. We're analyzing it. We're judging it. We're trying to figure out, we're wondering when it can be over. We're replaying the events in our head that we're crying about. So because of this judgment and analysis, the emotion just gets circulated. It just gets like, imagine if you came to me and you, you were upset about something and you started emoting and crying. And I was like, Johnny, like, could it be this? Could it be this? Why are you doing this? Like, you don't look very good when you're crying. You know, like if I was just judging, like we judge ourselves, like so many people, when they start crying, they apologize to me. And I'm like, why are you, why are you apologizing? This is beautiful. You're releasing emotion. But because we, we don't do it with compassion, it just gets recycled. So allowing ourselves to feel like feel emotion, moving through our body, moving up and out while having tremendous compassion for ourselves it's okay. Let it out. It's okay to feel like this. You know, that, that compassionate voice inside of us while the emotion is present, that actually releases the feeling. And this is where so many people get stuck because they think that they don't want to feel because that means they have to relive painful experiences. And that's definitely not true. You don't have to relive experiences. It's more about getting emotion out that's in there in the first place and releasing it so that it doesn't carry so much energetic weight. And that's, that's, I mean, I know that was kind of a long winded answer to your question, but it's, it's really hard to move into self-love and self-acceptance and integrate so many of the concepts that we learn from all these books. If you don't get those heavier emotions like anger, shame, sadness, grief, and rage out because then you're just trying to, it's sort of like you're trying to fix a broken pipe with duct tape. Like you, you, you just need more duct tape rather than getting to the root of what the, what the broken pipe is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I, I think what you said resonated, uh, especially when I was thinking about recent times when I've been breaking down and emoting and mm-hmm crying or processing things. I know, at least for me as a guy, and I don't know if it's just because I'm a guy or just because I'm a human being, but regardless, uh, when I'm in the middle of it, I'm like, what's the point of this? I don't even realize. I'm like, this is stupid. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm beating myself up even that, yeah. you know, I'm like, why am I crying? This is so weak. I'm like pathetic, right? I'm doing all the judging, like you mentioned. 
but it's been interesting how after that has finished <laughs> that I've been like, Oh, I feel so much better. Right. Like, I think for a lot of guys, it's like, why even go there, which is scary and potentially humiliating or embarrassing to them. What's the even, po- what's the point of even showing that emotion as if getting out, getting it out does anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I know it does because I've experienced it for someone who hasn't, what, what is that process? Like, what is that? Cause it's almost like, yes, it's something, but what is it about the actual expression of it that yeah. you can feel so much better and it's life-changing potentially and just half yeah. an hour of really expressing it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me. So I'm like, I'm always fascinated with how, um, open people have become to plant medicine, specifically things like ayahuasca mm-hmm. and people will, you know, conceptually get, Oh, I'm going to drink this medicine and I'm going to purge. I'm going to vomit. And like, cool. I'm releasing stuff. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, well, how can you comprehend that? But you don't want to do emotional release work. It's basically the same thing. What the medicine does is it just, it turns it to something physical and gets Mm -hmm. it out of you. Mm -hmm. But emotional release work is the same thing. If you had, or if we just take the plant medicine conversation out of it and say, if you ate something that was poisonous in some way, you would want to purge it. And that's how these emotions are. Like we, if you think about it logically, and this is when, when I work with men, I really have to get to the logic part. And I'm like, okay, just think of this logically. If you ate something that was poisonous, you would want to purge it. You would want it out of your body. That's just, that's what emotional release work is. It's not about being weak. It's not about being, being like, too feminine or any of those things. I think a lot of men think that emotions and that kind of release and tears, especially are less manly when nothing can be further from the truth. I mean, I have little nephews and I see how incredibly emotionally sensitive they are just because you're a boy. It doesn't mean that you don't have emotions. And so that's why it's so, so important for men to feel safe, to express not just their rage, but their tears. And the same, if we're making generalizations, the flip of that is women can be more comfortable with tears and need to get to their rage. And so in every retreat that I do, we always have a grief release and an anger release. And usually for men, the anger is easier. The grief is harder. And it's like the flip for women. Again, massive generalization, but it is what I see after 16 years of doing this. And for men, often it is the anger that unlocks the grief. And for women, it's often the grief that unlocks the anger. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I did a kind of a survey of all the men that I've been in touch with over the last year and a half since kind of mm-hmm. starting my men's work. And it's for like 600 guys in Denver. And the majority of them said the emotions they feel most regularly is anger, frustration, which is probably similar or a lower energy of, of anger mm-hmm. and then just mm-hmm. loneliness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But all mm-hmm. of them are just, they're kind of pissed off. They're angry. They're lonely. They're frustrated. They don't know where, to, where they're going in life. And that, that kind of leads me to wondering what, what do you see or your husband see in your guys' conversations around the dinner table? What, what mm-hmm. do you feel like are some of the bigger challenges that you see men are up against? Get, well, time. you said, you said anger, isolation. What was lon- anger, loneliness and what? Frustration. Frustration. Yeah. So this is the thing with men. Like it's the sadness that they often don't get to. It's the tears. It's the vulnerability. And that's something we talk about a lot with men is being able to crack them open into their heart and into their tears and into their sadness and into their grief, because it's been more acceptable culturally for men to be angry than it has for men to be sad. Mm -hmm. And so much of that anger and frustration is protecting them from their sadness. And I see this with my husband. He will be in an argument and he'll be angry and he'll be frustrated. But when we finally get to what's the wound and he allows himself to cry, everything shifts. When we get to the sadness, it it shifts. And same with me, like often when I get to the anger, it's like when I get to my anger and he gets to my sad, his sadness, it's like we break through something and then where we can get to the the intimacy into the conversation. And so men listening, it's important to get to your grief and to get to your heart and to get to your tears because you've been hurt. You know, you've been hurt. You've been rejected. You've been teased. You've been bullied. You've been abused. You've been left out. You've been, um, ostracized. Like there's so many things that have happened that 
don't just make you angry, frustrated, and alone, but actually it made you quite sad. And it's that anger and that frustration that's protecting you because you're scared to get to the sadness because you're afraid you'll be weak. You'll be afraid you'll lose your manhood. You'll be afraid you'll never get out of it. You'll be perceived um, in a judgmental way. You know, that's especially with my male clients, the first time they actually emote and tears come up, it's, it's very confronting for them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and often very challenging because it's like, if I'm seen, especially by a woman this way, I'm going to be perceived as, 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 as weak. And same, if I'm seen by a man this way, I'm going to be perceived as weak. So there's this conditioning that I think men have, and this, doesn't just, I think this happens for women too, but more so with men, there's this conditioning that if I fall apart, if I am sad, if I cry, then I am weak and I can't be weak and still be a man. So I'm just going to be angry and frustrated and isolate myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going back to something you said earlier too, which ties into what you just said is, you know, I, I've not grown up you know, I grew up as a good boy, you know, uh, a, a people pleaser and a yes, man, a mama's boy. And, you know, I didn't dabble with any drugs for that matter until yeah. my mid thirties. Um, and just this year, maybe because it's 2020 and I've had too much time on my hands. <laughs> have I, have I tried uh, mushrooms a few times, yeah. which I, which I talked about on my podcast previously. And the most recent time I sat in the woods with a buddy of mine and cried for three hours yeah. and they were just tears of like sadness. And it was really, really tough. Cause I, like yeah. I said, in the moment of it, I was like, this is, what's the point of this? This is not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. because I'm like, I'm still going to be sad when the tears dry up, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still going to like my fear of being alone and not having a family and all those things like, but then it did change. Mm-hmm. And it was shortly thereafter. I was like, you know what? You know, I feel so much better having purged that. Yep. Exactly. But to do that, it wouldn't, it would not have happened a, if it weren't for the mushrooms and B, if it weren't for that buddy of mine holding space, who I just mm-hmm. trust he had my back and, and just such a loving open-hearted mm-hmm. man. Right. Yeah. And sometimes we need those reference points, you know, whether it be with a coach or at, um, <clears throat> an event or on psilocybin. Um, but I bet that since you've had that reference point now, it will be easier to access that in the future because it's like, there's a gate that opens where you're like, Oh, okay. I can access this a little easier now. Cause I see that with myself. Like it's so much, you know, anger was a hard thing for me to access. And I had chronic headaches and, you know, antidepressants for 20 years of my life. So there were definitely some suppressed things there. Um, But when I was able to tap into my anger, I mean, the first time was so awkward and so weird and I didn't know what I was doing but then I got better at it and now I can access it in a healthy way quickly and I can shift a headache. I can shift a mood. I can, I can totally shift something because I'm able to tap into an emotion that I became excellent at suppressing. And often if I'm tired or exhausted, the last thing I feel like doing is anger work. However, I will, because Mm -hmm. it will, even though it might exhaust me physically, that day, the next day, it's like, whoa, I'm back on because all of this load I was carrying of anger and frustration is, is gone. And I think that's true with sadness too. It's like when you can let that go, it might be exhausting that, that day, but then it clears so much up that it's like, oh, wow. I didn't even realize I was holding on to all of that. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, I would say too, for speak for myself and for other guys that I've worked with just in the recent past, um, that frustration, well, you said kind of repressing those emotions, guys, you know, I think a lot of us do that, but guys, especially it seems like repress those emotions, they don't experience it, but then eventually it boils over and pops, you know, the lid pops, right? Turns into anger and things that we're ashamed of, of how we show up. But then on the other side of the coin are all these really nice kind of passive men that identify themselves as, you know, not trying to rock the boat. So Mm -hmm. they walk on eggshells throughout their lives day to day. But then I'm curious at how you would support them or myself included being a recovering nice guy, mm-hmm. how to reclaim that power in a way, like you said, that's healthy without it just being like, I'm, I'm scared of tapping into that, but I don't mm-hmm. know, how do I even get back to, to my equilibrium? If that yeah, makes sense. That's, that's such a great question. And that's something, you know, I'm sure Steph talked about with you is men kind of either go into the hyper aggressive or the hyper passive. Yeah. 
the, and, and neither one is, feels very good as a man. <laughs> it's like, I, I want to, you know, really find my healthy masculinity. And also, you know, women have masculine, we have a masculine side inside of us and our masculine energy can either be hyper aggressive or hyper passive too. So this applies to anyone listening, but for the, for the men that, that kind of relate to that Mr. Nice guy. So I'm back to start with the anger because there's, there's an anger at having to be that any, any man that is that there's, there's something there. There's someone that told you you had to be that way, or there's something that happened and you made it mean I have to be this way in order to be accepted, loved, validated, approved of like whatever. Mm. And it's really important to go back and get angry about that. So you can take your power back because often what happens with men who fall into that kind of Mr. Nice guy is there was a disempowerment that happened at some point, either through bullying or a parent, or, you know, there's myriad reasons of what, why this can happen. And the man just decides, well, I just need to be nice because that's the way I, I'm going to survive, you know, and we tie survival to love, acceptance, validation, so on and so forth. And so the, the, the getting to the anger about that and tapping into some of that aggression is important, mm. not aggression at people, but in that therapeutic environment of like really, really getting it out and finding that power, that's kind of the primal part of it. And then, you know, the more kind of therapeutic parts of it are looking at, you know, codependent behavior, behaviors, savior archetypes and patterns that you often get into yeah. people pleasing that, that type of thing. But the first part of it is like, getting to that, that kind of core wound of when you decided that I have to just be nice and I have to kind of stay, take a step back and disconnect yeah. from this more aggressive part of me. You know, it can even happen for men who had very alpha aggressive, even abusive fathers. It's like, I'm never going to be like that. So I'm going to swing way on the other side. So like I sure. said, there's myriad reasons why it can happen, but the, 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 the answer to all of those is to get to the source and really take that power back and find that anger and find that rage and find that aggression in a healthy way so that it starts to balance out. How do you, in your, thank you for that. How do you, in your, in your practice, create just a safe space for men and working with men? Because yeah. I feel like if, if it were just you and I chatting right now and you told me to get angry, I'd be like, I'm not, uh, how do you get us a in state mm -hmm. or create that mm -hmm. safe space to, to be able to, to really connect with it when sometimes it feels like I feel vulnerable just even in life in terms mm -hmm. of emoting that. So how do mm -hmm. you get men to be able to actually trust and then to feel vulnerable enough to, to let that out? Yeah. Great question. Um, well, it's different for everybody depending on their wounding. So one thing, especially if I'm working individually with men is I know their wounding. I know their mother wound, I know their feminine wound, and I know a lot of what's happened. And because of that, I'm able to adjust in the way that I need to adjust to make them feel safe. So for example, I had a client who had a very, very critical kind of harsh mother. And so my way with him was very nurturing and very compassionate. And he, you know, he said in his intake form, I need you to push me. But as I got to know him, I'm like, that's the last thing he needs. He just needs me to love him. Like he just needs me to hold that compassionate space. And I, I really come, whenever I'm working, I really come from a non-judgmental place. Like I'm really never judging anyone. I just am holding this compassionate space because everybody's human. And I think because I've done so much work on me, you know, I've, my, my own growth has been my number one priority above my career or anything else. I don't get triggered by people's stuff. So I'm really able to hold this really non-judgmental place, which can be intimidating for people. I remember when I was 21 and met Mona, my coach who trained me for 11 years, no, 14 years. I remember sitting and I was just like, I just felt this unconditional love beaming at me and she wasn't judging me or analyzing me and trying to, or trying to fix me. And I was like, I don't know what to do right here. I'm used to psychiatrists telling me all my problems and trying to fix me. And I learned the power of just creating this super 
non-judgmental place. And that's one of the things my husband, you know, says he appreciates most about me is that he doesn't feel judged. Like he, and, and, and that helps him because we're all, we're all judgmental. Um, in different ways. But I think men really have a lot of issues with like, are they doing enough? Women kind of have the, am I, am I enough? Just period. Am I enough? Mm -hmm. Fill in the blank. And men have that. Am I doing enough? Mm -hmm. So there's this constant, like, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I living up to this expectation? Am I like doing what I need to do as a man? And so my job is really just to hold this super, super safe, compassionate space and let it happen there organically. Like if you weren't feeling angry about something or we weren't talking about something that was obviously a trigger, I wouldn't like try to make you angry. <laughs> Me trying to make you angry may make you angry. And so that might get us there, but it's like, it's, it's not forcing something to happen. Like things really come up when they're ready to come up and when they're ready to be cleared and healed. And I know my responsibility as a coach, and I had to learn this as a coach early on is I can't be more committed to someone's growth than, than they are. Like I can't want it more and I can't have an agenda. So I might see, Oh my gosh, this guy's really angry and I need to get him to anger work, but I have to be respectful of where someone actually is and not push them before they're ready. Right. Right. Which comes down to a lot of your, experience, I'm sure your intuition, just following your, your gut. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, so much of holding space, it, it's something that you develop over time, but just by doing it over and over and over and over and over again. And it comes back to what we we're talking about earlier with that relationship with them ourselves again, because I have gone into the depths of my anger, my shame, my rage, my sadness, other people's doesn't scare me. You know, like I could walk into a hundred men raging and yelling and screaming and hitting things. And I would be like, yeah, go mm-hmm. get them. You know, 15 years ago, I would have been really triggered by that. Mm. Like my abuse triggers would have been triggered. My, you know, my <clears> stuff <throat> would have been triggered and it would have been like, you know, too much. Mm. So it's just, we, we develop capacity for holding space for ourselves and others over time. It's, it's a, it's a muscle that we have to exercise just like anything else. And so I don't expect people to be masters at anger work and emotional release work in the beginning. And I don't expect coaches to be able to hold massive space in the beginning. This is all things that we develop along the way, which is why, you know, we're never done. Mm-hmm. We're always growing mm-hmm. and evolving. Uh, you, you hit upon a point that I that I'm writing about in my book, which is kind of the idea of emotional fitness yeah. in the same sense. If you're really out of shape and I took you into the gym and had you start working out and start pushing you and you were not in shape at all, your mind a lot of times go, goes back to your own suffering. You right. know, it's very hard to focus on your teammate next to you, let's say, who's also suffering if you're so in it. It's, right. You know, it's not right. until you, you grow that emotional fitness or physical fitness and you're feeling good and confident. Can you look to your, you know, if someone's struggling next to you, you can be like, oh, you got this, you know, it's not mm-hmm. until, and that sounds like you, it's like, if you're triggered, man, you go into your own shit immediately, right? You do, you do, yeah. or any, sometimes you don't even know it. Um, <laughs> and that can, that can affect things. And I mean, anybody think of an argument you've had with someone lately and it's just like, oh, wow. Like I was triggered in that because I got reactive. And I remember, you know, Mona, my coach, um, when I told her I wanted to be a coach, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. And I was young and, um, she's like, are you sure? And I said, yes, it's amazing. Like, look at you. Like, you're so good at it. You have this amazing, you work from home. It's awesome. You help people. She's like, all right, baby. She always called everybody baby. She's like, all right. I say was, cause she's no longer living, unfortunately. Um, she said, all right, baby, well, just know you're going to, your life, you're always going to have to be on your shit. You're not going to be able to sweep anything under the rug. If you want to do this and do this well, you've got to be your best client always. So your life is going to be constant, constant microscopic looking at everything. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. That sounds good. You know, I just didn't know at 24 years old. Sure. And now I get it. I'm like, oh, now I know what she means because I couldn't do this if I wasn't really doing it for myself first and foremost, you know, like Steph and I teach a lot of relationship stuff and 
we can't do it unless we work on our relationship. It, it's, and I see this a lot with helpers. Um, and this isn't blaming anyone or calling anyone out, but I think often we so have this desire to help others and we're missing the most important person we need to help first with it, which is ourselves. So I love people that are committed to service and want to help and want to serve, but just make sure that you're at the top of that list. And you're not putting all the people you want to impact and serve above you. And you're not trying to heal yourself through healing other people. Cause I bought into that a little bit. Like I was like, I'll just focus on other people and that's how I'll get better. No, <laughs> doesn't work that way. Well, why do you think that is? I mean, I think that's a really good point. Cause I think a lot of guys are avoidant of doing the work and they'll find yeah. anything, you know, like, Oh, well, I gotta, I gotta keep working these long hours. Cause it's really supporting my family. And I've, you know, and I did them myself. It's like, it's a way we convince ourselves into not necessarily showing up or not doing the work or not facing the scary thing yeah. working on ourselves. Um, yeah. But why, why do you see that's the, the case and why do human beings do that? Uh, yeah. Like, I think it's, it, it just kind of goes back to conditioning and it goes back to not knowing how mm. and speaking to men specifically, because I've worked with a lot of men, men don't like not being good at things. Like they don't like not knowing things. It's, it's part of masculinity is competition. Mm. And when men don't feel like they get something or they're not good at something, or it will take a really long time, it's intimidating. It's like, Oh, like, what's the shortcut? Like, can I get it another way? Can I do it another way? Can I just go to ayahuasca or go to this one Tony Robbins retreat and like be done with it? And the answer is really no, you know, and it's okay to not be good at it. And the other thing I'll say, and again, this isn't, this is a generalization, but this is based on 16 years of experience and working with thousands of people for some reason, men, when they open up and do the work, they tend to move a little faster. I'm not saying it's necessarily easier for men, but there's something about the masculine brain and the masculine drive where it's just like men just, when they get it, they go. And I think women, because of our biology and our brain chemistry and everything that goes on inside of us, sometimes we're a little slower, meaning it kind of takes longer to shift certain things. Again, I'm making massive generalizations, but it's based on working with lots of people and neither is a better or worse, but I know you have a lot of men listening and I want to be a voice of encouragement for men and say, you're kind of a little better at ripping the bandaid off fast. And so go for it. Just do it. I know it's intimidating. I know it can be scary. I know it's not fun to not be good at something or not know what you're doing. I know that it's hard to be so vulnerable and to do things like cry but the more you can get into it and apply that masculine like drive to it, not pushing yourself in an unhealthy way, but just in that commitment, because that's another really amazing quality of the masculine is committing. It often moves faster than you think. Does that resonate with you, Johnny, what I'm saying? Yeah, hundred percent. Cause I, I would say too, over the last 10 years of working with, with individuals, eight of those years being focused primarily on women, um, and a little bit men, but then this last couple of years with men, it's like, I don't know, it's, uh, correct. When men finally see the clarity of what they're after, you know, it's like a cheetah knows that that's mm -hmm. what I'm going for and it, and it goes all in. What I have found also though, is they don't respect they Well, they think it's then, okay, I got it done. I checked it off. Right. And then they won't stick with the work where women will still be like, I, they intuitively know this is like a lifelong process. Yeah. Right. It yeah. might be a little bit slower of a process and more emotional where men are mm -hmm. like, all right, cool. Are we good? We good? Yeah. Can I go yeah. now? You know, it's like, yeah. uh. so, it's and this is where like conscious relationship and sacred union is so handy and it doesn't have to be man, woman. It's just in polarity. Even if you're in a same sex relationship, there's usually yes. one person that is more masculine one person that's more feminine. And that's where the balance is in. Cause the man can be like, okay, let's go, let's do it. Let's dive in. And, and the women can go, wait, but we're not done yet. <laughs> we we have more to do. And that's where these energies can balance out inside of us. You know, it's like, for me, it's often that masculine energy. That's like, okay, let's do this. Like, let's go into this. It's not going to be fun, but let's, let's do it. And it's that feminine energy. That's like, we got to keep going. <laughs> We're not quite done yet. 
Um, but I, I, I think a lot of men have the misconception that they're bad at personal development because fill in the blank. And I completely disagree. I think that men, when they say yes, they're really, really, really good at it. And it's just the conditioning that they have to get over. Mm, I love that. Uh, starting to wrap things up, I saw a recent post of yours on Instagram just talking about how, how you used to view men and mm-hmm. how you view men now, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of men, and I, I saw this the other day and I might do a podcast on it, um, watching cartoons. I mean, you see it on like the Simpsons, but this, the, the male, the, the father caricature was so demeaning of a man. Mm-hmm. to and the mom was the smart one and the rational one and the mm-hmm. you know the one that kind of took all the parenting roles of these children cartoons and I was just sitting I was like this is but this is where I feel like men have a hard time feeling like they're supported you know yeah. and all they do is get bashed on a lot <clears throat> um and so there's again no real safe space to be yeah. how maybe kind of elaborating on your Instagram post how did you see men and how do you see men now because I think that might be nurturing yeah So I think that my view of men was conditioned by my own life experience and for lack of a better term, the feminist movement, um, my own experience, like I said, in the, in the post, you know, I've been betrayed, neglected, misunderstood, abused, violated, gaslit, um, all kinds of things at the hands of men. And also as a woman and growing up in a time where like my generation was really on, you know, the shoulders of the feminine movement, there was a lot of kind of anti-male things because, you know, women have really suffered at the hands of men for so many centuries. So there's some, there's a lot of truth to that. And there's a lot of, um, reasons why there's a lot of anger there and a lot of blame. But when I started doing my own work, I realized that I was allowing things that happened to me by just some men and things that were being told to me by the collective were in where I was allowing those to influence my perception of all men. Mm -hmm. And so what I was left with is not very healthy relationships, not really male friends that I could really trust and a sort of againstness I felt as a woman, like, and that didn't feel good. Yeah. It didn't really feel good. And so when I was just doing a lot of my own inner work, a lot of what I had to get to was my anger at the specific men that hurt me and also tapping into the collective as a woman. And, you know, especially it just globally, what happens for women in, in the world, like tapping into that anger and rage but knowing that I wasn't going to be able to help it or shift it if I was still angry because anger is great at starting a movement, but it actually isn't so great at creating lasting change. Amen. So we've got the movements, you know, we've got the feminist movement. We've got the black lives matter movement. We've got these movements that have anger as a lot of the fuel but I, I personally don't think that, that anger is going to create the change. It's needed and it's justifiable mm-hmm. to, to awaken in a lot of ways. Just like I was saying you know, earlier that the first stage in any personal development is getting exactly. at the emotion. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So this That's is great. You know, this is coming up. But then it's like, okay, how do we really shift it? And for me, I was like, I... I want to have healthy relationships with men. I want to attract good men into my life. And I eventually want to help men become even better men. And so I think that, you know, men have had a hard time right now because they feel confused, they feel attacked. But then the comeback is, well, we've been suppressed for thousands of years. So if you feel attacked, then, well, I'm really sorry about it because kind of like you deserve it type of thing. And as much as I understand that, and again, I have compassion for that anger, my question is, where do we, where does that get us? And so what I feel is men have been told a lot of what they're doing wrong. And what I'm really committed to, and what I know you're committed to, and I know my husband is committed to is here's what you're doing right. And here's what we need more of. Like, okay, this is all the stuff that you're doing wrong. It's been great. that It's been brought to the surface. It's been great that things like the Me Too movement has brought awareness to this, but how do we help men really see 
you know, all the good that they are and what we, what is a healthy man, because just telling someone what they're doing wrong and what not to do isn't enough to create a change in, in, in a structure and a paradigm. Mm. So I'm really committed to helping men be proud of themselves as men and be proud of their masculinity and not think masculinity is bad because it isn't shadow masculinity is bad. Just like shadow femininity is, is bad, bad in yeah. terms of it's not going to create the best world for us. Yeah. Um, and really like be proud of being a man and, and look at what you're contributing to the world and know that like you're needed in the world. Mm-hmm. Healthy masculinity is really, really needed just like healthy femininity is. Yeah. And if, if the, you know, if being hard on individuals was effective, you know, I mean, we're all our own worst critics. Totally. So that would, you know, that would have helped (laughs) if it would have helped internally, it would have helped externally, which clearly it doesn't. My thought is that, you know, the, the feminine response to praise and the masculine response to challenge, but if men are really insecure or scared or whatever, they need a little bit more nurturing. Yes. But more praise, a little bit more like, bro, you're a good man. You're, 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 taking a lot of these things generationally from right exactly from past generations that you just it's not your fault you've just been set up to kind of lose and now we have to unlearn some things and learn some new good things and health uh healthy boundaries and everything else to to be able to pass it along to future generations to be good quality men because the absolutely you know that our families need it our our you know communities and our our countries our the world needs good leadership on on both men, masculine and feminine, male and female. So anyways, in wrapping things up, thank you so much for, for just joining me and having a, My a, a very candid conversation. It's really good to connect. Um, if any individuals want to connect with you or take your assessment, you know, where yeah. can they find all that good stuff? Oh, thank you. Yeah. The, the coaching assessment you can take, just go to christinehaster.com. Instagram is my favorite social media channel. And then my podcast over at non with a, you can listen to me do live interventions unscripted, unedited, unproduced. I do some interviews too. All the numbered episodes are um, live coaching calls that you get to listen to. I love that. And it reminds me kind of like what I can see uh, and I listen to with Esther Perel. Is like mm, I love her with, show. Right. Mm-hmm. So good. And I worked with her at Tony Robbins. It's like, it's so good just to hear it in action, you mm-hmm. know, which is almost, I was like, well, why don't we do another intervention with me just to hear that? But I'm like, uh, I'm scared of that too. So <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to unearth, you know, to put on? put out to the interweb, but thank you so much for, for being here. And I just cannot uh, say thank you for Aww. just the impact you've had on my life. So thank you very much. It's very much my pleasure. All right, guys. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, feel free to check out our website. Feel free to shoot me any remarks or feedback as I'm always happy to, to take it in until next time. Have an amazing day. Take care. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback, and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.